Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is a special episode from our Good Friday service where three of our pastors and staff members acted out a fictional drama of what the Jewish celebration of Passover looked like and represented at various points in history. We're glad you could join us. So without further ado, here's an introduction from Pastor Mike. When we called on to celebrate, in a sense, to remember Jesus' death, we say, well, how do we do this? Well, the Bible actually tells us. It tells us that we are to take what was called the Lord's Supper, and when we take this bread and drink this cup, we do this in remembrance of Christ, and, and we do it as a way of celebrating what he has done for us. And so as part of our, our service this evening, we're going to end with this celebration of the Lord's Supper, this remembrance, this dramatic re- remembrance in a sense of acting out not only remembering what Christ has done for us, but our faith and trust in what he has done for us. But even as we do so, we realize that, that that's part of not only what happened, you know, it's not only what happened 2,000 years ago in Calvary, but it's, it's actually the message of the whole Bible. I mean, we just sang, great is our faithfulness. It's from Lamentations. And it's something that not only was from the Old Testament, but we now see it fulfilled in Jesus and his faithfulness and, and what he's done for us in the cross. And even when we look at this table, we realize that it's something that was taught at this table, at the Seder, the Passover meal that was given to Israel 3,400 years ago that Jews have celebrated. And, and it was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus took this table and gave new meaning and reinterpreted that in what we celebrate now in the Lord's Supper. And so throughout this evening, we're going to reflect on that meaning and on God's promise throughout the Old Old Testament that's fulfilled ultimately in his death in the New Testament and that we celebrate this evening. But now let's continue in worship to prepare our hearts.
protection for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a Every year at this time, for more than 3,400 years, the Jewish people have celebrated the Feast of Passover. Exodus 12 teaches us the origin and meaning of this sacred feast. After more than 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God had sent Moses to Pharaoh as his messenger to tell him to set God's people free. But Pharaoh refused. Even after nine plagues, each which served as a warning, Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. Finally, God sent a tenth plague, the angel of death, who would strike down the firstborn son of every Egyptian household. But God also provided a way for the people of Israel to be spared from this plague. But to receive this protection, God required them to do something as a demonstration of their faith in his provision. On the designated day, each family was to take a lamb without blemish and kill it at twilight. They were to take some of the blood from the lamb and smear it on the doorposts and lintel of their house. They were then to prepare a feast with the primary elements being the lamb and unleavened bread. Then, when the angel of death came through the land that night, it passed over each house whose door was marked by the blood of the lamb. After this final plague, Pharaoh finally relented and set God's people free. In Exodus 12, God told his people, that he wanted them to celebrate this feast every year as a memorial of God's grace and deliverance. They were to celebrate with a lamb and unleavened bread and other elements that reminded them of God's deliverance from slavery. This first vignette is set in 1400 BC, shortly after the people of Israel have finished their 40 years of wandering in the desert and finally settled down in the promised land. The older men who led the Seder in their homes still had living memories of the first Passover night, having been young children at the time. Shalom, Hannah, and shalom to you all. It is only by the grace of God that we are gathered here today on this most holy day. And Caleb, Levi, come and sit. It's time to quiet down now. This meal is Passover, and it is special 
It is a time for reflection and for remembering. And it's time for me to share the story. I can still remember it. It's clearer than most memories that I have. I can breathe in the hot, dry Egyptian air and count every grain of sand. I feel the sun beating down against my skin. I had all these chores to do in the fields. My father had it worse. He was tasked with making bricks that would be used to build pharaohs, statues, and pyramids. When he would come home, my mother would wipe his feet clean and treat his blisters. Egypt was hardly a home for our people. And even still, our elders would remind us. I would overhear them talking to my parents that even though we were enslaved, stuck, hopeless, God had given us a promise, a new life outside of Egypt. But before this new life could prosper, first, death would come. I was just 10 years old. So young. On that night of the first Passover. This man known as Moses, he came to our people and he told us that God had this plan. This plan to free us from bondage and take us into a new land. Promise of, of plagues that would come and convince Pharaoh to let God's chosen people go. Oh, I remember my family agonizing over all the little details. In my youth, I, I couldn't fathom it all. Even though I was raised on God's principles, I didn't really listen. I was a skeptic in the eyes of the Lord, and I couldn't understand why we had to do things the way we did. But I remember my father came home and he had this lamb thrown upon his shoulders. It was young, white, and pure like porcelain. He killed it. He took its blood and he soaked our doorpost. I was told that this act would grant us peace, life, and this home outside of Egypt. And that it would spare me. My father, he made this massive fire and roasted the entire animal, the head, organs and all. Oh, and we feasted. There was unleavened bread and, and greens. At the time, so bitter to my taste, and I spat them out. Oh, but my mother, she reprimanded me. She took my hand and the hand of my sister and she squeezed. She told us that this Passover meal would spare us. I didn't understand. She explained. Even though that God would strike Egypt, he would pass over us and I would be spared. She told us to finish dinner quickly and she sent me and my sister off to sleep. 
My sister didn't have any problem dozing off, but I couldn't. I had so many nerves in my head. I tossed and I turned, and I buried my head in my blanket until I heard it arrive. It came in whispers. At first I thought it was the wind, but the very warmth of my bed was stolen. The air was cold as ice. I dared, and I, I peeked out the window. I froze. The very blood went stiff in my veins. I knew death was here. A shape rounded the corner, and I could see it. This form, like a shadow, but, but all light. Like a ghost, but beautiful. I just waited. I couldn't move. I thought it was, was going to enter our home, and that it would pluck my soul from my body. My mind raced. I, I wondered, was this my punishment? Was this what I deserved for all my disobedience? All the times that I had neglected to say my prayers, all the doubts that I had. I trembled. All I could do was hold my breath. As it approached, I could hear it whisper. Stopped, stared into my very being. And then it moved on. My mind went back to the blood on the doorpost, to my, the words of my mother. The word of God was on her lips when she said that he had made a promise to spare me. And I prayed. I thanked God in his presence. Glory to God. He was faithful. But the night was not over yet. I saw the form move into the next house, which had no blood. I heard a scream. Whimpers and cries that got louder sorrow that I had never heard. I was not brave, but I was curious. And I looked back out my window. I saw a woman stumbling into the street. It's a young boy who was limp in her arms, so pale, lifeless. She cried, begging for help. But it was too late. The rest of the night was haunted by those screams of the Egyptians, the cries of families, and I did not stop praying. Morning came and I was spared. I was spared and the word of God rang true. 
All that we had done, everything the Lord had promised was true, and I fell down on my knees, and I thanked God over and over. And then Moses came. Moses came, sharing that Pharaoh had given the word, take your people and go. Get out of our land. And so we hurried. We gathered our things. 600,000 men, women, and children, all of our livestock. Our bondage was over. Our lives were to begin anew in a land that God would be pro- promised would be flowing with milk and honey. And from that night, the night that God spared me, I promised to follow him faithfully just as he had been faithful to his promise. He had delivered us. He had spared us all those years ago. And that, that is why we celebrate Passover. As the centuries passed, the people of Israel continued to celebrate the Passover each spring as a remembrance of God's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. As commanded in Exodus, the meal continued to feature the lamb and the unleavened bread as the primary elements that looked back at God's work of deliverance. However, through the centuries there were also new elements added to this feast. These elements grew from the prophecies and promises about God's ultimate deliverance of his people through the promised Savior or Messiah and the prophecies about the forerunner of this Messiah who would come with the spirit of Elijah. Some of these new elements didn't look back at what God had done but they looked forward to God's ultimate deliverance through the promised Messiah. This second vignette is set around 200 BC in Jerusalem, when many Jews were increasingly focused in their anticipation and the fulfillment of God's prophecies and ultimate deliverance of his people. of Egypt. How many times have they told me about Moses and Joseph and all of our ancestors between the two? How many times have I heard of the ripple of the breeze on the Nile and of the smell of the sun baking bricks out of straw? How many times have I heard the history of the Exodus, the trip that we traveled after the Egyptians tormented us into letting them go. (laughs) This history has been handed down from my father's father and to his father's father and all of the father's fathers before me. How many times have I heard the stories of Egypt and how many more times have I told these stories to my firstborn son? Me. (laughs) A firstborn telling my firstborn son the stories of Egypt. I've always wondered if death at the hand of the destroyer was like a stab to the Egyptian heart like the slow suffocation of generational sin. 
or like a gentle slumber leading to a quiet end of breath. And yet, we continue to tell these stories because we believe, well, we believe they're significant, that they teach us and somber us and shape us. The story of our history, it always begins with a small child puzzling at the Seder and asking, what does this mean to you? In the story of our history, it always starts with the answer that Moses gave to us. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. He spared our families. Though we were once spared death, I often wonder what else exactly it is we've been spared from. Certainly, the family of Israel has has not been spared from, from famine or disease, violence, exile. At this very moment, so many of my Israelite brothers and sisters wait for the signal to return from their exile. Though my family has again resided in Jerusalem for several generations, now multitudes of my people live far and wide among the peoples of the furthest corners of the world. I want to have faith in the God of my fathers, but, but with each Passover meal, I feel myself yearning for something more. Our fathers... You see, in the days of Joshua knew that at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness that there would be a promised land that they would have to inherit. And in the days of the prophecies of Jeremiah, the Israelites knew that at the end of 70 years they would be able to go back to Jerusalem. But now... (laughs) When will it be our turn to hear the voice of God? When will it be our turn to hear the cry of deliverance and the shout of the united people of the Lord worshiping together in Jerusalem again? Each year, we drink of the four cups of the Passover We drink to the promises of sanctification and deliverance, redemption, (laughs) praise. We drink together in remembrance of the things that our God, that he's done for us, things that, that no other God has ever done for their people ever. It is our God alone, the one that we worship. We drink together 
as a people independent in one place and exiled into so many others. But like the people before us, we too commemorate a promise of the future that has not yet come. You see, a fifth cup, brimful with wine, sits untouched at each Passover table, waiting for Elijah. Elijah, the one we have been promised will come and assure the imminent coming of the Messiah. Elijah, the one who was taken up into the heavens in a chariot of fire will come and signal the fire and the purification of the great day of the Lord. Elijah, the one who spoke with God and with us will come and speak the final word on all of our disputes. And yet, there is one thing that we all believe in and one thing in which we all place our trust. The coming of Elijah is the sign of the Messiah. The Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior, the liberator of our people is coming and will soon come. The Messiah will reign in Jerusalem and will bring an end to all that we question and all that we suffer. The Messiah will proclaim the day of our freedom and the day of the Lord's judgment upon our enemies everywhere. The Messiah will come to us when he is signaled by Elijah. And Elijah will come at Passover. Each year, I hardly dare to hope that this will be the one. Each year, I hope, and each year so far, I have been disappointed. Even so, today, I somehow dare to hope again. I dare to hope that this will be the Passover when Elijah comes. I dare to hope that this is the year Elijah will come because I do not know what to do without my hope. If it's not this year or next year or the next, I dare to hope that Elijah will come and drink from our cups at this Passover feast because I do not know what to do with my hope if this is not to pass. I don't know how to survive without hope, but without Elijah, the Messiah, and the day of the Lord, we have no hope. We have waited so many years for what? Nothing. But I dare not let myself believe that nothing is all that we will ever see. I dare not let myself believe that we have been hoping for nothing. You see, our fathers and their fathers' fathers saw the consummation of their hope. And I believe that we shall also see 
the consummation of what we have been promised as well. As the sun begins its slow descent across the horizon, and I breathe in the cool twilight breeze, I watch as my children play in the doorway. I watch as my wife sets the ceremonial table. I see as my neighbors with belts fastened and shoes on their feet arrange the unleavened bread. I pray and I watch. I pray earnestly that today Elijah would come and satisfy the hope of all the Lord's people. I pray that he would come and that with him he would bring the Messiah. How long must we wait, O Lord? Come, Messiah. Come, Elijah, and bring with you the day of the Lord. All four of the Gospels tell us that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus celebrated the Passover feast with his disciples. The table was filled with all of the usual elements, each which had a symbolic meaning, either looking back at God's deliverance or looking forward to God's promised provision. The table was filled with all the usual elements, each which had a symbolic meaning, either looking back at God's deliverance or looking forward to God's promise. It was the responsibility of the leader of each household to guide and lead through the meal, explaining the symbolic significance of each element. It was no surprise to all who were there that Jesus took the role as the leader of the meal. However, as the meal progressed, Jesus shocked his disciples and followers when he reinterpreted the meaning of the elements and explained that he was the fulfillment of all the prophecies of God's deliverance for his people through the Messiah. This last vignette is set in 31 AD, a year after the night of Jesus' betrayal, and is told through the voice of a zealot who was anticipating God's deliverance through a political Messiah, one that would conquer through power, but instead saw in Jesus the true meaning and fulfillment of all God's promises of deliverance to any who would put their trust in the blood of the Lamb. Last year, I sat at a table just like this one and shared the Passover meal with some of my closest friends. But if I'm being honest, last year, I thought I was too good to be seated at that table with him. See, you have to understand, these men, these friends of mine, they were tax collectors. They were bumbling fishermen. And not to mention the teacher that we were following who that night was saying things about the kingdom and the day of the Lord that I just didn't believe, I couldn't believe could be true. I thought I was above all of them. I thought I was the only one taking this table seriously that night as we were there to wait and hope for the coming of the Messiah. But now, as I look back, I realized that it was I who was not good enough to be seated at that table. See, you have to understand, when I grew up, I believed that the sword was the chosen instrument to bring God's peace. 
I grew up hearing the stories of the likes of Joshua and of David and of all the judges of Israel. I believe that violence was the only road to bringing peace for our people. I grew up imagining that the Messiah would be the final judge and that with him, he would be the liberator to purge all of Jerusalem, Judah, and Israel of those enemies who oppressed us for so many years. And I imagined the flash of the sword and steel as he would wave it on that great day of the Lord. And from my earliest of memories, I always imagined myself fighting alongside of him. I imagined myself fighting alongside a thousand other judges. And I also imagined myself alone on the front lines leading them into battle. See, I knew the Messiah would come. And I knew he would come when Elijah signaled him at Passover. But yet, I didn't know at which Passover he would come. But if there was one thing I was sure of, if there was one thing I knew in my heart, it was that he would come during my lifetime. I knew that I would see the coming of God's kingdom. And I for sure knew that I was going to be a part of the movement that would usher that moment into existence. And so, for as long as I remember, even as a small child, I remember preparing myself for that moment, for the day of the Lord. And I did so by preparing my mind, by uh, being sure that I was uh, stealing myself from all of the pagan influences that for so many years kept my people Israel impure. And I prepared by training myself on how to block and counter any attack or any blow. I stood and took up arms with my father and my brothers. And I stood steadfast, fighting alongside all of the surest and swiftest of men. And I stood unflinching in the blood-soaked fields of God's amazing and awesome vengeance. <laughs> At least I thought it was God's vengeance. <laughs> But reflecting now, I realize it was really my own vengeance. See, as each year came and went, I prayed that the Messiah would come that year, that Elijah would visit us. I dreamed of the restored kingdom of God, and I waited. I didn't just wait, I fought, and I prayed that the Messiah would come that Passover every single year. <laughs> and during Passover, the cup of Elijah would be passed around the table. And when it would come to me, I would wrap my fingers around its cold metal frame out a little bit longer than anyone else at the table. And I'd pray earnestly that Elijah would come and bring with him the Messiah. I prayed that Elijah would come and, and usher in the Messiah. And with the Messiah, I prayed that he would come with swift judgment and wrath upon all of our enemies and all of those who oppressed us. But unknown to me at the time, <laughs> my prayers were being answered because last year the Messiah was here. He had arrived. And with him, he brought the day of the Lord but it looked so different. 
from how I had imagined it. See, to this, this teacher, to our rabbi, to the Messiah, the day of the Lord looked not like a bloodied sword, but it looked like a sacrifice. And as we sat at that table that night, I was asked to share the story of the Passover. And I told the story of our exile from Egypt, about our deliverance from the hand of Pharaoh, and about the salvation that we had by a merciful God through the sacrifice of a lamb. But the strange thing is that for the first time since my childhood, I heard this story through new ears. Hearing that story come from my own lips, I realized and I remembered that the Passover was not about swords. It was not about our vengeance. It was not about our own power, our own strength, or even our own righteousness. No, Passover was and is and will continue to always be about sacrifice. About the lamb that lost its life for the life of my father's father and his father's father. See, I was right about one thing. Passover was about blood, but not about blood that was forcefully taken, but blood that was willfully given. And as I sat at that Passover table last year, my eyes were open to brand new things. Our teacher, Rabbi the Messiah, he poured a cup. He poured the wine into the cup of Elijah. And as he did, he poured it and he blessed it and he proclaimed it. He proclaimed it the blood of a new era. He proclaimed it the blood of his own body. And he proclaimed it the blood of a new covenant. He proclaimed it like all the other cups didn't matter anymore. He proclaimed it like the cup of Elijah didn't matter anymore. Like the day of the Lord had come. He had it with such authority, saying it as though the very next things that he was going to do would be the day of the Lord. And with it would bring peace and sacrifice instead of a sword. And as he promised us seats in the kingdom with him, the kingdom of peace, I realized then that I was not worthy to be at that table. But I realized that none of us at that table were worthy. None of us were worthy of hearing what we heard. None of us were worthy of seeing what we just witnessed. The Messiah was there. Together with tax collectors, with bumbling fishermen, and a clueless zealot. We were being transformed that night. We were being transformed into the kingdom of God. And that very night, at that table at Passover, we truly witnessed the day of the Lord.
Yep, they did a great job. They did a lot of work on that. Yeah, just, yeah, you can applaud them. You know, when we we're celebrating something, part of this idea is that when we think about the Passover, God had commanded the Jewish people to celebrate the Passover not just as a meal, but literally as a drama, that he called them to do something that was acting out dramatically aspects of things that would remind them of, of historical truths, of, of biblical truths, things like choosing a lamb and sacrificing the lamb, eating that as part of that meal, of, of taking unleavened bread and, and, and breaking that and taking that as part of the meal. And uh, at each meal, there was always a leader, one who was, that was appointed, in a sense, to be able to not only lead that meal, but as they would go through the meal, he would explain all the elements of the drama, what it meant, what was the significance historically. And, and, uh, and in that meal, the most central element was, was the lamb. They would take a lamb, and they would slay the lamb, and and they would cook it, and they would eat that as part of that meal, and it was something that they would do. And again, the, the leader would explain, okay, this was the lamb. It reminds us of that lamb that was slain that first Passover evening, and how that lamb had its blood that was then taken and put on the door frames of the home. And all those who put their faith and trust in God's provision through that lamb, who stood under the blood of the lamb, by that faith were saved. And he would explain that. Well, now we fast forward to 30 AD, and, and you have that last meal that Jesus enjoyed with his followers. And it was a celebration of the same meal, of this Passover. Only when he took that role of leader and began to explain, he suddenly now gave new meaning to those elements. The feast was still about the lamb. However, something had changed. You see, because now Jesus was going to teach them that he was the ultimate fulfillment of that imagery. He was the lamb that would be slain. And as it says in the book of Hebrews, that he was the lamb that would be slain once and for all for the forgiveness of sin for all time. And because of that, now when we celebrate this meal, we don't have to offer another lamb. We don't have the spilling of blood because blood has been spilled once and for all. So now instead of taking the lamb, he now took the bread the unleavened bread that was a symbol of one that was without leaven, without sin. And he broke it and he said, okay, now this is a symbol of my body, which is broken for you. And as he continued to explain what that meant and, and all that is, it's the, the imagery was still the same. Because what was the imagery? The imagery was that it was about the lamb and, and the blood of the lamb and all those who put their faith in the blood of the lamb, who stood under the blood of the lamb, by their faith in God's provision, would be saved. But yet again, there's no need for an additional spilling of blood because Jesus was the final sacrifice. So now instead of the blood, he took the cup. And he said, okay, now this cup is an image of my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Now even as we talked about in a minute, God, or a moment ago, God had commanded his people in the Old Testament to do this as a drama. And he called them to do that once a year and to say, okay, I want you to act this out as a reminder of these truths. Now, what we find in the New Testament is that the New Testament, God now calls us as his people to likewise to do this drama, to act this out regularly. 
as a way of reminding us of these truths. We have seen three dramas today that remind us of how this meal has been celebrated historically. But in a very real sense, there are four. Because the fourth one is what we are acting out now. Because God has called us to continue to participate in this drama. And so we are continuing to live out this divinely inspired drama and to take these elements, this bread that was broken, and and to remember again, this is a symbol of Christ's body which is broken for us. To take this cup, to be reminded that this is a symbol of Jesus' blood that was shed for us. Now, part of this drama is not only a reminder of what Christ has done for us, but it's a reminder as in a moment we're going to have the elders that are going to come and, and they're going to then serve you. And, and what is it saying? Even in that drama, Jesus was saying, this was done for you. This is now offered to you. And it's not these elements by which we're saved. See, these are only outward signs of an inward reality. But it's saying, okay, now Jesus' blood, his sacrifice, his body is now offered to you. Have you ever trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? You see, you don't have to be Jewish to participate or any nationality. We have to just come and say, God, I acknowledge that I have this need. That I acknowledge that apart from putting myself under the blood, that I'm I'm going to suffer the fate of of ultimately God's vengeance of of the angel of death, and I don't want that. But God, you've made a provision. And this is going to be offered. And if you have never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to realize that in this drama that God is saying, now, Jesus, I've died for you. Will you take this? Will you receive this? Will you? It's not, again, we're not saved by this, but in a sense, spiritually, it's an outward sign of an inward reality to say, God, I acknowledge that I need this. I trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. If you've never done that, I want you to realize that God is offering that to you today. You can pray that prayer where you're at. If you haven't prayed that prayer, you're not ready to, that's fine. But I'd encourage you then, then don't take, don't participate in the drama. Don't take the outward sign if you don't have the inward reality. And for those who have that, see again, we're not only being reminded of what this means, of Jesus' body that is broken, of his blood that is, shared, is spilled for us and now being offered to us. It's not only that, you see, but it's also a, a divine reenactment of our trust in that. What was the Passover? It was that reminding of we did this, we offered this lamb, that we're under the lamb. And so as we take and receive this, it's in a, in a sense our, our reminder of saying not only that this is what Jesus has done for me, but as I now take and receive, I now declare this is what I have faith in. This is what I put my trust in. And God declares, and it is by our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, by the fact that we put ourselves under the blood of the lamb, that by our faith in Jesus, that our sins are forgiven, that we are made whole with God. And that's it for this special message. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a text at 330-644-6121. You can also learn more about our events and community groups at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in prayer requests. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day.